Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. Man, y'all look amazing this morning. It's so good to see you today, and welcome those that are watching online. This series is so exciting to me because, you know, there's more written about King David, about the life of David, than any other character in the Bible besides Jesus. David has more about him than any other character. In fact, the runner up to David, I mean, Jesus is first, but after Jesus, the most mentioned name in the Bible is David. The most talked about character in the Bible outside of Jesus is David. The runner up to him is Abraham. Now, Abraham has 14 chapters in the Bible about his life. Joseph is after that. He also has 14 chapters. Abraham's mentioned in the New Testament. Joseph is mentioned in the New Testament. Then you've got, after that, Elijah. Elijah has 10 chapters dedicated to him in the Old Testament. His name is mentioned in the New Testament. But get this. David has 66 chapters, all chronicling the, the, the life, the seasons of life, from a little boy all the way into his old age when he dies, all dedicated to the life of David. Not only that, his name is mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. So this is a guy that God wanted us to know about, right? This is a story that God wanted. He put so much focus and attention in the Bible on this man called David because he wanted people thousands of years later to learn some lessons from this man's story. Not just David, but all the characters that surrounded David. Saul, Jonathan, Abigail, Absalom, Solomon, you name all the characters that surrounded David, Bathsheba, and, and all of the, the parts of his story, that even though David was a flawed man, even though David made a lot of mistakes, he was God's chosen king of Israel. And through David, God would send his one and only son to reign on the throne of David, Jesus, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. David was a foreshadowing of what was to come. So we go back to the 10th century BC to find out where this story begins. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. Yay, we get excited about the word of God. It's better than the NBA playoffs. Come on, somebody. It's better than Russell Westbrook, better than Kevin Durant. Definitely. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. Now, Samuel the prophet had come and was speaking to Saul, and Saul was the first king of Israel, and we're gonna learn why Saul was rejected, but you need to understand that God had to find someone. God was looking for a heart. Israel was looking for a king. Israel was looking for a man. God was looking for a heart. He was looking for a heart that was fully devoted to him, and Samuel comes to Saul, and he says, now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. If you're taking notes, you could just put David part one, man after God's own heart. Man after God's own heart. I remember as a teenager circling this phrase in scripture. By the way, this is the only person in the Bible that actually gets that title. No one else got the title man after God's own heart. Theologically, this can bring some confliction in your mind because David committed adultery. He murdered the, the husband of the wife that he slept with. I mean, David made a lot of mistakes as a dad. We're gonna learn more about that over the next several weeks, but yet God still saw him, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, he said, this was a man after my own heart. And that's good news for all of us in this room because none of us are perfect. If you're perfect, you're at the wrong place. 
But through Jesus Christ, we are righteous, we are redeemed, we are forgiven. Come on, he sees us as he sees his son when we put our faith in him. So God said, this is, this is a man that I've appointed to be the leader of my people because you have not kept God's command. Samuel was telling Saul, he's already chosen. The Lord has already brought him. At this point, Saul had been leading Israel for several years. Saul was actually the king for about 20 to 25 years before David even steps into the scene of the history books. So Saul has been leading Israel, and we gotta understand a little bit beforehand, what kind of leader is God looking for? What is God's measuring stick for leadership? Is it age, is it size, is it stature, is it height, is it education, is it previous success? No, the measuring stick for leadership is this right here, the heart. God's measuring stick for leadership is the heart. It is not how old you are. Come on, somebody. We should be the church that champions God using anybody at any age because biblically that is true. God used seven-year-olds and 13-year-olds and teenagers with pimples, and he used men in their late 90s to have children like Abraham. It just didn't make sense, and God's ways often don't make sense to man's logical reasoning. That's why God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. The measuring stick for leadership is the heart. With a healthy heart, you can have healthy leadership. With a toxic heart, you have toxic leadership. This is what we learned through Saul that he allowed his heart to gradually turn against God. But the question is, why did Israel need a king in the first place? Israel had God as their king, right? I mean, when God delivered Israel out of Egypt under Moses and then brought them into the wilderness and then through Joshua, led them into the promised land, all through that, they didn't have a king. All the other nations had kings, but God was the king of Israel. And as long as God was the king, Israel never failed. As long as God was their king, there was never a battle that they could not win. And this is a point for all of us in this room. When God is our king, not man, we will never lose any battle we face. When our hope is in the Lord. Just a quick lesson of what David's heart was like. We see it in all the Psalms. By the way, David wrote many of the Psalms that we read in, in the book of Psalms, but one of the, the, the scriptures I love the most in Psalms is Psalm 25, verse five. David said, lead me by your truth. Listen to the heart of David. You can't be a great leader if God is not your leader. Lead me by your truth, God. Teach me your ways. You are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. That should be our prayer. Lord, all day long, my hope is in you. David's hope and trust was in the Lord all the day long. David was committed to God before God ever anointed him to be the king of Israel. He wasn't following God to get something from God. He was following God because that was the only one he could trust would never let him down. Israel had gotten frustrated with their season of God being their king. And over time, they had forgotten about the miracles God had done. They had forgotten about Egypt. They had forgotten about Jericho. They had forgotten about the sun standing still and all the amazing moments that God had showed up for them. And so we get to 1 Samuel 8, verse 4. Samuel the prophet, now he was the prophet in the land. They had no king, just prophets. And Israel comes to Samuel and they said, Samuel, verse 5. You are now old. Now that is mean. <laughs> you are an old man, they said, and your sons aren't like you. Samuel had two sons he had put in charge of the ministry in Israel. 
They messed things up. They weren't good guys. They didn't honor God. They said, we want a king. Give us a king just like all the other nations have. Just like everybody else. We want to be like everybody else. They missed the point that God had set them apart. That God had wanted them to be different than all the other nations in the world. Because Israel, it was bigger than Israel. God told Abraham, I'm blessing you. And I'm going to bless your children. And through your children, I'm going to bless the nations of the world. But Israel couldn't see it. They couldn't see that God wanted to be the invisible king of their hearts. So they said, we want to be like everybody else. And it is a dangerous thing when we want to be like everybody else. It's a dangerous thing when we opt to leave the uniqueness of who God's called us to be, the powers in being yourself. Victory, let us not crave to be like all the other churches in America. Let us be a church that is distinctly the Lord's house, that we would live for him, that we wouldn't compromise just because other churches are compromising their morals, their beliefs, their values. God has called you to be different. Don't, don't crave to be like everybody else. The power is in being who God's called you to be. Samuel was hurt when they told him this. And Samuel came to God in the next verse. And God said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They don't want me to be their king any longer. And God gave them the worst judgment he could give them. He gave them what they wanted. The worst judgment you could get is to get what you want. Because oftentimes what we want is not what God wants. The prayer we should pray is not, Lord, give me what, my, what I want, what my heart desires. The prayer we should pray is, Lord, give me what you desire for my life. Because what you desire is more important than what I desire. Guard your heart above all else. For out of it flow the issues of life. God gave them what they desired in their hearts. They wanted a king, so God said, okay. Samuel, tell them what a king is going to bring. And in verse 9, Samuel tells them. He gives them the decree. He said, okay, you're going to have a king, but here's how the king's going to reign over you. He's going to tax you. He's going to claim the best land that you have as his. He's going to take your daughters, make them serve him. He's going to take your sons, and he's going to uh, deploy them into battle. And he's going to use your sons on the front lines to win the battles that he chooses to fight. This is the kind of king you get when you opt to follow a human instead of following God. Don't put your trust in a politician. Put your trust in the Lord. Politicians will fail you. Pastors will fail you. Bosses will fail you. People will fail you, but the Lord will never fail you. Put your trust in the Lord. My hope is in you all the day long. The amazing thing about David is he never left the stature. He never left this place right here. Even in his old age, even when he missed it, he never left this place right here. Lord, my hope is in you all day long. The difference between David and Saul. Saul would become the king of Israel, the first king. And Saul looked good at first. He was tall. He was strong. He was wealthy. He was the man that, in man's eyes, everyone would say, this guy, he's the king. He's the king. He's the guy we're going to follow. He's strong. He's tall. He can fight. He's got money. He's got power. He knows how to take charge. But over time, Saul's heart started to show his true colors. And we started to see how insecure Saul was as a leader, how paranoid he was about what people thought, how untrusting he was towards God. He started to take matters into his own hands. David sinned just as well. Let's not get our stories mixed up here. David was a sinner. 
But the difference between Saul and David is that David trusted in the Lord even when he missed it, and Saul trusted in himself. Saul cared about what he looked like. He cared about what people thought about him. He didn't trust in God. When Saul missed it, he wasn't heartbroken for breaking God's heart. He was heartbroken because he got caught. David, on the other hand, was heartbroken because he knew that God's heart was broken over his sin. God's not looking for perfect men and women. God's looking for hearts that are fully devoted to him. And that's good news, church. It's good news for all of us. What can we learn from the life of David? So we get to 1 Samuel 15, and Saul has been leading Israel for several years, and it's not going good. It's toxic leadership. It's difficult. It's frustrating. People don't know what to think about him. He changes his mind all the time, and Samuel comes to Saul, and he says, Saul, you've disobeyed God, and God has rejected you as king of Israel. God requires obedience. Obedience is more important than sacrifice, and God has chosen a man after his own heart, which leads us to 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. God tells Samuel in verse 1, he says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. And I want to tell someone in the room that's been mourning long enough about the past. It's time to move on. You've mourned long enough about who you lost, about who left you, about who didn't work out, about what job you lost, about what happened in your past. You've mourned long enough. God has a breakthrough, but it's not behind you. It's in front of you. It's time to move forward. God said, I rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil. In other words, get ready. Prepare your heart because I got something great in front of you. And he says, go to Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Now, where, where do we see that town again? Go to Bethlehem to find a king? The story is so connected to the gospel that in the Old Testament, the shadow of what would come one day, David, a little shepherd boy, the least likely to be chosen as a king, God was preparing the hearts of people for the soon coming king of all kings. He said, go to a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Samuel said, but Lord, if Saul finds out, he's going to kill me. God says, get a heifer. Exactly. Like when I read that, I was like, heifer? What? He says, get a heifer and uh, say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. God's kind of like preparing a plan. I love God's personality. He says, just say that you're going to do a sacrifice to the Lord, but we know you're on a secret mission and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel does this and he calls all the people together and they tell him, you know, where to go. He shows up to Jesse's house. All of Jesse's sons come out. Verse five, all the sons start to come out in front of him. Now look at this. In verse six, Eliab comes walking out in front of Samuel, Samuel the prophet, Samuel the guy who's been leading Israel for more than 50 years, the guy with all the age, all the experience, all the prophetic insight, the man who spent all the time in God's presence, and he still misses it. He says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now what makes you think you can't miss it if Samuel the prophet missed it? What makes you think that you are always going to get it right with who you think is supposed to be in charge or what you think is supposed to happen? Oftentimes, we're not looking through the eyes of God. We're looking through the eyes of man. Samuel was looking at someone who looked strong. Once again, he was looking for a Saul. God, God was looking for a heart. Man was looking for a king. 
So he saw Eliab, surely this is the Lord's anointed, and God rebukes Samuel. God will rebuke anybody at any time, no matter how long you've been in ministry. Pastors miss it, priests miss it, prophets miss it, daddies miss it, all of us do, but how we respond when we miss it. God said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The measuring stick for leadership is the heart, the heart. Anyone in this room have any say-so on hiring at your company? Anybody get to kind of choose people that you hire for your company? Something that I've been just praying through and even learning, reading, and studying this whole chapter and getting ready for this message is recognizing in my role as pastor, leader of this church, that it's so easy to miss the heart when you're interviewing a person. You look at the resume, whoa, look at his education. Whoa, look at his personality. He's so outgoing. Whoa, look at all the stuff he's done and the accolades and the trophies. And there's this still small voice just whispering in your heart, hold up, what's his heart like? What's her heart like? Is he a man after my own heart? Is she a woman after my own heart? And oftentimes we can't see it through our human eyes. We have to ask God to open the eyes of our understanding. For the singles in the room, dating someone, looking for someone to marry, don't just go off the looks. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't be attracted to the person, but attraction can be fleeting. In my short years of pastoring and doing weddings and counseling couples, even in the last few months, meeting a man who, whose wife is now divorcing him and she wants all this money that he has and it's such a sad situation. He said, you know, the reason why I married her is because she was beautiful. I, I just was so attracted to her. But I knew deep down inside that she didn't have the same convictions, the same theology, the same beliefs that I had, but I opted for attraction instead of listening to that still small voice in my heart. Be careful who you choose. God was trying to warn Samuel the prophet, the guy who knew all about God and all about his ways, and he almost missed it. And God said, man looks at the appearance, but God looks at the heart. So one by one, sons came out. The next son came out. God said, nope, not the one, not the one. Then the next son came out. Nope, not him, not that guy. Finally, all seven sons came out, and Samuel goes, God hasn't chosen any of these guys. And we get to verse 10. In the same way, all of them were there, verse 11. And Samuel says, are these all the sons you have? Now just pause for a moment. Jesse had only brought out seven of his sons. He had eight. Seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. All seven of them were out there. This is a parenting tip that I'm learning. I have two boys. One is very energetic, very dramatic, very loud. His name is Liam. <laughs> the other one, Benaiah, is pretty quiet for the most part. And he likes to hit his brother. He'll just kind of hit him and then just walk off real quiet. They're both unique personalities, and I'm sure over the years, Ash and I are gonna learn more and more about how different they are, but they're both valuable in God's eyes. One of them is not more valuable than another, and yet Jesse missed it. It was like he didn't value David. You're like, well, there's this shepherd boy, the youngest. He's out in the fields taking care of the sheep, stinky, dirty, little kid, you know, teenager, pimples on his face, going through puberty. His voice is cracking. He's trying to sing songs out there. I don't know what he's doing out there. It's like his dad didn't believe in him. 
And maybe you grew up in a house where your dad didn't believe in you. Maybe you grew up in a house where your parents didn't see you. Honestly, the Bible says that David was conceived in iniquity. So could it be that Jesse was not the biological dad of David? Could it be that David was Jesse's wife's son, but maybe not his own son? So there was this blended family issue going on. I value my biological children, but I don't value that child. Parents, let us learn to value every child. Every child is valuable in God's eyes. And here's one thing, too, that we can learn. Even though you may not be visible in man's eyes, you are still valuable in God's eyes. Even though you may not be visible to man, it could be that God's hiding you, not because he doesn't like you, but because he's preparing you for greatness. Little did David know that working out in the field, God was preparing him to take care of the sheep of Israel. Never underestimate the humiliating seasons of life that you're going through. And so Jesse calls David. Samuel tells him, he says, uh, go to verse, verse 11. Samuel says, send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. There are things waiting for you that won't start until you show up. There are dreams and opportunities and promotions that won't happen until you show up. As a young kid growing up in my family, I was the youngest of four siblings, and when I was very young, I heard God speak to me that I was called into ministry. I remember when our house caught on fire, and I was the last kid in the house. My dad ran back into the house to pluck me out of the fire, and I remember that night just thinking, God, I believe you saved my life for a purpose. I believe that I was supposed to die that night in 1992 when our house was caught on fire. Flames were engulfing every room in our house, one of the worst house fires in Tulsa. And I remember just thinking, maybe, God, you saved me for a purpose bigger than I can imagine. When I was a teenager, I heard God say, Paul, you're called to lead people. You're called to pastor people. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just serve my dad. And maybe someday I'll, I'll, I'll be a youth pastor or start an internship in Africa or something. I always thought I'd go and do something in Africa. And as time went forward, I felt this calling to pastor. And I remember just serving wherever the need was in our church, and this is important because you right now are serving in places you don't even realize God's preparing you for something beyond where you're at right now. David didn't know that serving out in the fields, taking care of not his sheep, but his daddy's sheep, was preparing him to take care of the sheep of Israel. I remember trying out for the worship team at our church four different times, and I didn't make it. Each time I tried out, they said, you need to work on this. I'd get up there, and they'd say, you need to work on your humility. You're really prideful. Then I got up there one time. I said, I'm really humble. I've been working on my humility. I'm the most humble guy I know. And they were like, don't even try out. You've already missed it. <laughs> Finally, the fourth time I tried out, and my sister was one of the judges, Ruthie. She was sitting at the judge's table. It's kind of like the voice, like they hit the thing if you're good. And uh, afterwards, she said, Paul, we don't have a spot for you on the worship team here in the youth group, but there is an opportunity for you to lead. There's about 15 kids that come to church Sunday mornings at about 8.30 a.m. You could lead a connect group, play your guitar, and teach them songs. I was so mad. I called my dad that night. I said, you need to fire Ruthie, <laughs> my sister. And my dad said, she's right here. You want to tell her that? No, 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 this isn't me. Don't, never mind. <laughs> then later on that night when she was gone, I called my dad. Is she, is she there? Is she at the house? Can we talk for a second? Dad, I'm really frustrated. Why didn't she let me on the team? He said, Paul, it's so good for you to be rejected. What? So good for me? What? He said, it's good for you. It's good for you. It's good for you. 
to learn this. David would be anointed for pain, anointed for a process that would be so difficult. God was preparing him to be the greatest king Israel had ever seen or would see until Jesus would come. But it would not be an easy process. It would not be an easy preparation. So I remember leading worship for children. I think some of you in this room, you're walking through seasons that are difficult, humiliating. But what looks like humiliation is actually preparation for an acceleration towards your destiny. What looks like humiliation is actually preparation for an acceleration towards your destiny. What is God using right now in your life to mold you and shape you and prepare you to be the king he's called you to be, the queen he's called you to be? God has put leadership in all of us. And if there's one thing we can learn from Saul, it's that leaders don't last forever. Leadership is stewardship. Leadership is stewardship. If you don't steward the leadership right, at any moment, God can pull you out of that position. Make no mistake, God knows how to put kings in places and remove kings from places. And when a leader doesn't let God lead, if God doesn't remove him from that position, the leader will self-destruct his own leadership. If there's one thing we can learn from Saul, it's that leadership is stewardship. How are you stewarding the season that you're in? Are you valuing it? If a leader refuses to let God lead them, their leadership will eventually self-destruct. Is God leading your heart? For David, it was continually, my hope is in you all the day long. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When David was singing songs in the fields, when David was serving Saul as a harp player, when David was slaying giants, when David was hiding in caves, when David had missed it as a husband, he was still in this place of, Lord, lead me, guide me, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, oh God. God looks at the heart. I can only imagine David hearing his dad call him from the field. Davy, come inside. There's someone who wants to talk to you. David's walking in the field holding his staff. My hope is in you. Show me your ways. Guide me in truth for all my days. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. Davy, come on. Get in here. Quit singing your songs. Okay, Dad. Thank you, Lord. My hope's in you. Now listen to this. When Samuel showed up to Jesse's house, David had to have seen it. I've been to Bethlehem three times. I went as a kid with my family, went as a teenager. Then I went the year after my dad passed with my mom and my siblings and, and my wife. Bethlehem is, it's, it's wild because there's steep hills outside of Bethlehem. It's six miles from Jerusalem. The shepherds, they could see things coming from a long way. It's not like a crowded forest area. It's a very open area. So David had to have seen a caravan of people following a, an older bearded man walking to his dad's house. But David wasn't waiting by the road going, can't wait to get my ticket out of Bethlehem. Can't wait to get out of here. No, David was content serving in the field. He probably glanced over and goes, oh, family's having a get together. I guess I'm not invited again. Illegitimate child. It's all good. My hope is in you, Lord. My hope is in you. How do you handle rejection? David seemed to have handled it like a champion. 
So his dad calls him in, walks inside the house. Little did David know that, that this would be the last walk from the field to the house as David the shepherd boy. Because the next time he would walk out to the field, he would be David, the anointed future king of Israel. But as he's walking into the house, you can just imagine God looking over from heaven, just watching this teenager. Scholars believe David was between 10 to 15 years old, and so this teenager's walking in the house. God's going, that's the one, that's the one. People are going, him? He's a songwriter, just let him lead worship. Just tell him to sit on the piano and don't mess with the, the leadership stuff. Tell him he doesn't belong in the throne room. Like he just needs to write songs and, and sing. God goes, no, that's the guy, that's the guy. Don't ever put a person in a box. Don't ever confine what a person can do based on their current, current role, current position. God knows how to move harpists into kings. So David is walking in and his brothers are just looking at him, shaking their heads, rolling their eyes. His dad's looking at him like, eighth son, youngest boy, stinky, smelly. Right when he gets in, look at this. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, when he, when he comes in, verse 12, God sees him and he says, this is the one, this is the one, this is the one. Everybody say, I'm the one. You are the one. You're God's beloved. You're his son, his daughter. God says, anoint him, anoint him. Verse 13, so as David stood there among his brothers, God will cause you to shine in front of those who hate you the most. David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of oil. By the way, they didn't make you. They can't break you. They didn't call you. They can't disqualify you. You know, when I stepped in as pastor, I had people say, you're too young, Paul. You need to let one of your older siblings do this. Literally, wrote, wrote me emails and letters. Paul, you're not qualified. You haven't gotten your master's degree yet. I was trying to look in the Bible for qualifications to be a pastor, and I couldn't find master's degree in there. And I couldn't find what age you were supposed to be. All I saw is that God looked for a man after his own heart. And maybe you feel like you're in a season of feeling disqualified. I've been there. Still get there sometimes when I get discouraged. By the way, David got discouraged even as a king. It's not a bad thing to get discouraged. It's what you do with your discouragement. David told his soul to quiet down. It is well with my soul. Soul, why are you so discouraged? David knew how to speak to his emotions. He knew how to speak to his discouragement, his insecurities. Saul didn't know how to handle his insecurities, so he just went crazy. David, he had insecurities. There was one season where he did go crazy. We'll talk about that in the future part of this series. But he continued to just come before God. Lord, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. So then, in front of everyone, Samuel anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, came powerfully upon David from that day on and Samuel returned to Ramah. Guys, David would be the future king of Israel, but not yet. He was anointed, but he was not yet appointed. Real quickly, I wanna just give you a few things to take away, what to do with this part of the story, man after God's own heart. Number one, David was faithful in the field. He was faithful right where God had him. He was faithful in the field that God had placed him in. He was faithful to take care of his daddy's sheep. What field are you in right now? That God's saying, just be faithful, just be faithful. Stop demanding God to promote you. If you'll be faithful in the field that he's called you, he will promote you at the right time. Just be faithful in the field that he's called you. If you, don't, if you haven't heard a new assignment, be faithful with the current assignment that he's given you. 
Number two, he was faithful in the familiar. He was faithful in the familiar. On the days, by the way, it rained, it blew, the wind blew. There was all kinds of weather that happens around Bethlehem. But David showed up. Whether it was a day where a lion or a bear would attack a sheep or whether it was just a hot, sunny day in Bethlehem. He didn't complain. This job is so boring. I wish I was doing something else. Even after he was anointed as king, he anointed as the next king, he continued to serve his dad's sheep. He was faithful in the familiar. Number three, he was faithful when forgotten. When the world forgot about him and when you feel forsaken, you are mistaken. God is with you. God is with you. He was faithful even when he was forgotten. When his dad forgot about him, it was all good because he knew that the father to the fatherless was peering over the, the grandstands of heaven, looking down on little Davy out in the field. I learned to just worship in the seasons of obscurity, in the seasons that were so humiliating. Because here's the point that I wanna just prove to you real quick. What you feel is humiliation is actually God's preparation for an acceleration towards your destiny. What you feel is humiliation. Don't miss this. The people that walked out early, they missed something that's so important here. What you feel is humiliation is actually God's preparation for an acceleration towards your destiny. Little did I know that picking up those nachos, God was watching from heaven. He was watching how I handled the sheep that weren't mine. He was watching David. He's watching you, the job. When you clock in, are you walking in integrity? Are you really working the hours that you're clocking in for? Are you giving it all you got? Are you being faithful to honor those that are above you, even when they forget about you? Are you being faithful in the familiar? Are you being faithful in the field? No condemnation, but today's a great day to say, you know what, from this day forward, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna be faithful and I'm gonna stop backbiting and I'm gonna stop gossiping and I'm gonna stop disrespecting and I'm gonna stop getting angry and shaking my fist at God and I'm gonna be faithful because God is preparing me for my destiny. And here's the fourth point right here. He was faithful in the future. How do you be faithful in the future? Because the second you find out what's in front of you, when Samuel whispered in David's ear, when the oil was falling over him, Josephus, another theologian, says that Samuel whispered in David's ear, you're gonna be the future king of Israel. What do you do when you find out what's in your future, but it's not gonna happen yet? Do you get a big head? Do you say, I'm done with the sheep. I'm done serving my brothers. That same chapter, we'll find out in the weeks ahead, David went right back to serving his dad, serving his brothers, serving King Saul, doing whatever it took. He was faithful in the future. He was faithful to say, Lord, my hope is in you all the day long. I want you to stand to your feet all over this room. God wants to make us men and women after his own heart. Right now, we're just gonna have a moment of heart-checking surgery in this room. Spiritual heart surgery. Before you leave today, I want you to let the Holy Spirit check your heart. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you followed God for 40 years. Maybe you're here at church for the first time ever. But you're listening to this and you realize all leadership is stewardship. That is a principle that is, that is true in every stance. And a healthy heart produces healthy leadership. A toxic heart produces toxic leadership. God has called you to be a leader. He's looking for faithful shepherds in their field. When you look at the difference between Saul's heart and David's heart, Saul, he had fear of man. David, 
fear of God. That's a huge thing right there. Saul was worried. David worshiped. He turned his worries into worship. Saul, thirsty for man's applause. What are people gonna think? Why aren't they affirming me? David, thirsty for God's presence. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Saul, paranoid. David, peaceful. Saul, raging with jealousy. Angry when people got blessed. Angry when people got promoted. Angry when others were cheering for other people. David, full of love. He loved Saul, even when Saul hated him. He loved Jonathan, Saul's son. He loved his son Absalom, even when Absalom would try to kill him. How's your heart right now? How are you handling rejection? How are you handling family members who hate you? How are you handling being overlooked and ignored and going through a season of humiliation? How's your heart right now? Saul self-preserving. Remember, when Saul got in trouble, he was only repentant because he got caught. He cared about his image. It was all about looking out for Saul. But for David, he was a servant leader. He was humble. He was broken. He was there to serve the nation of Israel. Most of all, he was there to serve God. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes all over this room. You're here today and you say, man, I, I need God to work in my heart right now. I want God to create in me a heart that is set on him. The Bible says his eyes look to and fro. The Lord looks to and fro across the whole earth, searching for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, man, I... I need God to do some work in my heart right now in some of these different areas that I'm walking through, difficulties, trials, discouragement, tribulation, feeling frustrated, feeling overlooked, feeling invisible in the eyes of man, but Lord, create in me a heart that's set on you all over this room. If that's you, just lift your hand today. You're saying, God, work in my heart. Yeah, hands going up all over the room, men, women, young, old, all over this room. You're saying, Lord, work in my heart. Secondly, you're here today and you say, man, I'm not right with God. I have sinned and I need to repent and I need Jesus to be Lord of my life. David was just a shadow of who was coming. The greatest king of Israel, Jesus, would come and he would be rejected by man and he would take a crown of thorns and whips across his back and die on a cross for us to give us hope and forgiveness and raise from the dead to give us life. All over this room, if you say, man, I need Jesus, I need his forgiveness, I need salvation, I want you to just raise your hand today. Today is your day to just say, Lord, I confess you as my Lord, my Savior. Don't leave today without letting God work in your heart. If you raised your hands for either of those, thank you, sir, thank you. I want you to just leave your row right now. Come and meet me at this altar. Come on, just leave your row. Say, God, work in my heart. Lord, my heart is yours. Work in my life, God. Yeah, give a huge hand clap for every person that's coming down today. Right now, if you need to just leave your row, just come and meet me at this altar. Just find a place at this altar. My hope is in you, Lord. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Can we sing that song? My heart is yours. As people are coming down to the altar, just sing this. Sing this with us. Take it all. Take it all.
with those that you're facing a season that is frustrating, if you're going through a season that doesn't make sense, and you're trying to find just hope, you're trying to find peace, you're trying to find a breakthrough, I want you to just leave your seat right now, come and meet me at this altar. God was watching you as you walked from the parking lot into the church today. He's watching you as you go back to your job this week. He's watching you, how you handle the field that you've been in. He's drawing you to his heart. He's saying, be faithful in the seasons of humiliation. For I am doing a preparation work in your heart. Maybe you're here today and you say, Paul, I, I've been betrayed by people. I've been rejected by people. I've been overlooked by people. I've, I got a wound in my heart towards my dad. I got a wound in my heart towards leaders. If that's you, I want you to just leave your row right now. Don't carry that wound out of this place today. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work so deep inside your heart. He's looking for Davids. He's looking for men and women that will enroll into the school of brokenness. That will say, God, I'm all yours. God, I surrender to you. Lord, I choose to be faithful. I choose to trust in you. My hope is in you all the day long. I'm all yours, God. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. My Make that your prayer. Take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. My heart is yours, my heart is yours. Take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. My heart is Lord, we surrender to you. God, we say our heart is yours, to mold, to shape, to transform, to use for your purpose, our story for your glory. God, take the wounds, the past, the mistakes, the feelings of regret, the shame. Lord, I thank you that you used a man like David. Even though he missed it, messed up, sinned, Lord, you still used him because his heart was quick to repent. He recognized that you were his God all day long. You were his hope. His trust was in you. Lord, let that be our prayer, our hearts. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. My heart is yours. Create in me a pure heart, God. After you fully devoted I repent of sins I receive your forgiveness work in me God my hope is in you all day long I confess you as my Lord and Savior my King in whom I put my trust in Jesus name Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. 
If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services, Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.